0: The title of tonight's message is Giant Implications, Giant Implications, and we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. I'm going to have you, if you'd like, to stand again, and I'm going to read the passage to you. Excuse me for having the top line cut off. The word of our Lord, that was also regarded as a land of giants giants dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzamim, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before them and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them. They dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avim, who dwelt in villages as far as Gaza, the uh, Kaftorim, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Rise, take your journey, and cross over to the river Arnon. Look, I have given it into your hand, Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon and his land, Begin to possess and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would open up our hearts, open up, Lord God, our minds, open up our ears to your word tonight. Important message, Lord God. A message, Lord God, and an understanding that, Lord, brought such tremendous sense to, Lord, your workings in the Old Testament and the New. And, Father God, I pray that all would receive this revelation from you tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when you are, are looking at the text, you see the word giants, right, translated um, in the New King James Version. That is um, Rephaim, or the Rephaites, and uh, there in, uh, in verse 20 it is translated uh, giants. The Zamzamin, the Anakim, and the Avim—I uh, put that in, you know, in red in red print—all speak about tribes of very large people. Okay, that we see in the Scripture. So, what I want to do is I want to take you on a little journey here, talking to you about about the giants. The first thing is, where did the giants come from? They're apparently there. They're all through the Scripture. Let me just, let me say this to you, what I'm going to do next week, I'll take you on a little, uh, archeological journey and use scripture, but I'm going to take you through, there have been giant skeletons found. They have been found for hundreds of years. Uh, there have been some, we would call it uh, monolithic or these giant structures that have been built, uh, all throughout the, uh, the world. And I'll give you some some evidence, some scientific evidence that there were giants who were walking the earth at, you know, one point. I want to emphasize this, though, because if you go on, if you Google it or you go on YouTube, there's a lot of, I mean, there's scams everywhere. So there are a lot of pictures that are fabrications that are not true. So you, you see pictures of skeletons that, you know, or as, as long as skyscrapers, uh, some of the stuff again is false. You got to be just be careful with it. I'll show you some things next week. But let's talk. We're going to focus. We'll focus tonight just on answering some key questions here. Where did the giants come from? So I'm going to take you back with me to Genesis chapter six, verses one through four. So the word of our Lord here. It says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God, who knows what that, that is translated uh, in Hebrew? Ben Elohim. Okay, Ben Elohim. The Ben Elohim saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants, and that is the word Nephilim, there were Nephilim on the earth in those days and also afterwards, when, again, the men Elohim, the sons of God, came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. In fact, the word mighty man, Gaborim, that's another key and important word to understand. Now, just twice, sons of God, the Ben Elohim. This is an important question. Who were the Ben Elohim? Okay, the sons of God. And I want to show you here, there, there are essentially three different interpretations about the sons of God. One is that they were fallen angels; that essentially fallen angels cohabitated with human women. The uh, the phrase uh, "sons of God" is used. In fact, it's used actually three times in the Book of Job, and each time it's used, it's clearly talking about angels. Okay, it's not it's not talking about people. Uh, the early church believed that the Ben Elohim were angels. Actually, interesting, the uh, uh, post-Babylonian captivity period up until Jesus, the rabbis all believed that the Ben Elohim were were angels. Some of the the challenges to that, there uh, has been no mention of angels up to this point in Genesis. Actually, just one mention, actually the angel who guarded the tree of life. And, uh, And the other is, Jesus says explicitly that angels do not marry, right? Which angels? When Jesus said said it three times in each of the gospels, synoptic gospels, not John. He said that the angels of what do not marry? The angels in heaven. So people take that, that passage and say, well, therefore angels can't procreate. But that's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying that the angels in heaven who hadn't fallen, they do not marry. Now. Two other interpretations, this, this is a very lame, I don't even know why I won't, won't even talk about it, but the Canaanite, that they were Canaanite kings, that the Ben Elohim were Canaanite kings, it, it, just there, there's nothing, right, to, you know, basically prove that or give evidence to it. The, you know, the Ben Elohim, again, when we go through the passages in Job, and actually one passage in Psalms, Ben Elohim are always referring to angels. Okay, nowhere are they referred to the Canaanite kings. The um, other interpretation, this was the interpretation that was taught me when I became a Christian from my pastor, and then it was a a, a position that some of my uh, professors at seminary held to, and that was that the sons of Seth and essentially uh, daughters of Cain, so the Sethian line, Okay, they claim that essentially they were the Ben Elohim. So uh, supporters um, in context, they go to Genesis chapter 3, 4, and 5, into marriage between God's people and people who were not God's people. Okay, people. Challenges, the the phrase again, sons of God means angels, right? In all other places. Nowhere is it talking about it being a, a reference to humans in the Hebrew scriptures. And um, always referring to angels. And uh, here again, previously the author uses the phrase, line of Seth and line of Cain, you know, why suddenly do you come to Genesis chapter 6 and change it? Now, I think that's a, you know, that's a key thing. I, I take the position, I think most of you know this, who have, you know, who have taught, you know, who have been taught you know, underneath my ministry, that Ben Elohim is speaking about angels, fallen angels, who did cohabitate, Okay in this mischief with human women. Now, I want to show you two passages in the New Testament, one in the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 6. It says, The angels which kept not their first estate, they, they kept not, uh, in fact, their first estate, but left their own habitation. That's uh, They left their own oikos. They left their own house. And um, it says, He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So he's talking, he's talking to you about angels who have been basically locked up, okay, in, you know, a, an abyss, locked up in a holding cell. And we know that that's not true of all angels, right? That there are still angels, that fallen angels, that are, you know, roaming the earth. So who, who is that a reference to? I believe that's a reference to the angels and what they did in Genesis chapter 6. You go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Again, another reference here. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. The word there actually is Tartarus. It's a Greek word that talks about, again, a, a dark place of, you know, of, of where the evil go. And deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Again, it's a reference to some angels who did something that God locked up. And again, I think that these passages in Jude and in 2 Peter are references to what happened in Genesis chapter 6. Now, let's, let's go back to, um, to Genesis chapter uh, 6, verses 1 through 4 again. I'll read it to you again. It says Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves from, uh, of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now I want you to, to watch and look at, at verse 4. Because now here the Spirit inserts, there were giants on earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So what it's talking about, there's this incursion in verses 1 through 3. Angels come down and cohabitate with women. And then in verse 4, what is the result of that? The Nephilim. Giants. Giants. So just the idea, the idea that these are the sons of Seth, okay, and again, intermarrying with human women, how does that produce these Nephilim, these giants? Again, it's the word Nephilim and then the word Geborim, right? It's Obviously, if you take the passage, you know, I always say this to you, you have to study the word of God in its context, and, you, you, you know, you can't rip passages out to make them mean what you want. And when you look at this passage and you take it in its context, the first four verses, they, they really flow together. What happens in verses 1 through 3 results, right? You, you, have, you have women, again, having relations with these angels, and the result is you have the giants, or again, the Nephilim, who come from that? Now, I'll show you. I want to show you a, a couple of other passages. Interesting. Genesis three fifteen. When Adam and Eve sinned, God pronounced a curse on Adam. He pronounced a curse on Eve, and he pronounced a curse on Satan. And in verse fifteen of Genesis three, you have the curse that's pronounced on Satan. He says this, and and God says, I w- and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Now, uh, we talk about this, right? Women don't have seeds. So, when it's talking about a woman whose seed, what is that referring to? The virgin birth. You know, we've talked about this over the Christmas holidays, a so re- reference to the birth of Jesus. But between your seed, does Satan have a seed? He shall bruise your head, and you shall uh, bruise his heel. Uh, ultimately, Jesus will crush Satan's head, but Satan did wound Jesus. But Satan has a seed. So some people, again, the the, uh, the typical way that I think this is interpreted by a lot of people is that, well, they're just bad people, right? Satan's seed are just bad people, you know, people who are unbelievers, people who are you know just they're evil people. the 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 problem, the problem with that, is that I mean, essentially, we're all evil. <laughs> we all need a savior right only god is good you know when jesus said to the rich young ruler uh, you know why do you call me good for only god is good jesus wasn't saying that he wasn't god jesus was saying hey you know what there's just there's just agathos there's pure pure goodness in god we are all more or less evil right? that's ultimately you know i mean some people are really evil and some people are less evil but as uh, 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 you know listen i'm a christian i've been walking with the lord for 40 years i can tell you there's still, still evil in me. And there's still capabilities of you know, evil in me. That's why I need God's grace and I need to rely on his grace and his love and his spirit to be able to you know, please God and live the life he's called me to live. But essentially here, again, coming back, Satan's seed. Satan has a seed. And I believe what happened in Genesis chapter 6 is a picture of his seed and that was these hybrid um, Nephilim... The mixture of human, I'll tell you, it's like, I, I, I mean, can I, can I prove it's DNA? But angelic DNA being mixed with human DNA that creates this, this hybrid called the Nephilim. So the question, the question is, and this is what's interesting, the flood wiped them out. But the scripture here, watch in Genesis chapter 6 again, look at verse 4. There were giants, okay, on the earth in those days and also afterward. So they were there before the flood, and we, we see this very clearly from what we're reading in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is just verse after verse that talks about these giants being on the earth. Just again with the passage we just read in Genesis I'm sorry in, in Deuteronomy chapter two. Let me just take you through. I'll take you just to a few passages. Numbers thirteen, thirty-two through twenty-three, uh, twenty-three, uh, thirty-three, when the spies went in to spy out the land and they came back, and I'll pick up on verse thirty-two. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak uh, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked uh, the same. This, This is a few thousand years after the flood. So they're still on the earth. And then we'll go to Deuteronomy 3.3. 3. For only Og king of Bashan remained of the remnant of the giants. He's here, Og of Bashan. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. It is not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon. Nine cubits was the length therefore, uh, thereof, and four cubits of breadth, of it after the cubit of man. Nine cubits, how long is that? A cubit is about from my fingertips um, up to my elbow. Yeah, it's about 13 feet. Boy, Lenny's an engineer. He just figured that out real quick. Did you have to use your calculator to do that? (laughs) He was a big dude. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21, 20, and still another battle which took place at Gath. There was a huge man, and that word there is, is Medan, It means of great stature, with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He also was uh, descended from Raphael. I don't know if you've, if you've seen it, there are statues all over the world, all over the world, that have been found of these, these giant beings with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each hand. Kind of uh, interesting. I'll, I'll show you pictures next week. Second Samuel twenty-one sixteen, and Ishbi Benob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight whose spear weighed three hundred shekels of brass in weight. Uh, he, being girded with a new sword, uh, thought uh, to have slain David. The word there for giant is Rafa. In fact, these are these are names. It's, it's, I'll just show you this chart. These names are used essentially. They're Hebrew names for giants. The Anakims, the Emens, the Rephaims, the Avims, the Zamzamins. There, there are actually some other names that are used as well. And they're sprinkled throughout the, uh, the Tanakh, the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 21-22. These four were born to the giant of Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Again, we're, t- we're talking about thousands of years after the flood here. Amos says this. Yet destroyed uh, I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. So, again, the, the word there, the word there that is used um, is it's speaking of somebody who apparently was extremely tall. So, just this is a picture. When the Israelites are entering into the promised land, these are all different, essentially, descendant tribes of the Nephilim. So what did what Satan do? This is, again, this is the promised land. The land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. The land that is promised to Israel. Okay. The land where Israel would be born a nation, where the Messiah would be born, where the Messiah would live, where the Messiah would die, where the Messiah would be raised from the dead, and where the Messiah would ascend into heaven. And ultimately, where the Messiah will return to, if you notice, when when he does come back to the earth, his foot touches down where? Which mountain does he touch down on? Mount of Olives. And it splits in two. That's in the book of Zechariah. So what you have here is that this is a demonic stronghold. You have the seed of Satan inhabiting the Promised Land. Now Israel, Israel is called by God to go there, and He says, "Wipe them out." Now, I just—I don't know if you've ever—you've ever had a difficult time with this. God says, "Wipe out entire nations of people." And when I began to read that, look, I'm you know i I approach the scripture with honesty. Is God a genocidal maniac? I don't know if you ever stopped and asked yourself that because it sounds like it sounds i i mean you know i've I've listened to people and some of the idiotic interpretations that the God of the Old Testament learned how to be good and became the god of the New Testament. I mean just I've heard some crazy stuff through you. But is God, a homicidal maniac. Why does he? Why does he tell the Israelites go there and wipe out all of these people? I I I believe because they are no longer human. They they were no longer redeemable. And they have been essentially contaminated with essentially the seed of, of, of Satan. So here's, here's an important question. If they were destroyed by the flood, how are they back? How do they get back? What was your idea? Go ahead. So they did it again. They did it again. Okay. I want to give you a, there are three three theories. Three theories. One theory is the Nephilim survived the flood. I mean they got up on a rock. <laughs> Some people say they went under the ground. They had tunnels like Hamas under the ground. There's a the, the problem I have with that is Genesis and I'm going to Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8 repeats this over and over. I must repeat it like six, seven times, is that the flood destroyed all flesh. Uh, and behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. So I think that it speaks of everything, every creature, you know, every, I mean, every Nephilim. Second theory, one of Noah's daughters-in-law carried the Nephilim gene. If it was contaminating the whole earth, and you know what's interesting, I'll show you, let me just show you this. The sons of Ham were Cush, and then uh, Mizraim put Canaan, and the sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sapta, Ramah, and Saptekah. And the sons of Rama were Sheba and Eden. And then notice, so Ham begot Cush, Cush begot Nimrod. And he began to be a mighty one. That word there, mighty one, is Gaborim. That's the same term that's used in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. By the way, it, that word is also used at other times for God, Geboram, the mighty God. Uh, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter uh, before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Nimrod was the founder of Babel. If you understand, the, I mean, look at Genesis chapter 18, and you see you know, Babylon. You know, what, is, what is Babylon? Babylon was the, the, the very foundation place of false religion and the occult. Man, man communing with, with the devil instead of communing with God. and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, e- Erech, uh, Kalneh, in the land of Shinar, from the land uh, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, uh, Rehobeth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin, between Nineveh and Kala, that is uh, the principal city. So um, again, the, the picture here that some people say is one of the daughter-in-laws of Noah had the Nephilim DNA in her. I, I look at that and I say, well, did God make a mistake? Right? If that if that is the case, did God make... The, well, obviously, God knows all things. I mean, did he just say, I'm going to let it pass by? Third theory. The third theory. And Gina, our brilliant scholar, she's... Let me tell you, she's hit the ball, right right out of the park with that. The third theory is you had a second incursion. That the angels did it again. So they did it in Genesis 6 and somewhere after the flood they did it again. I I, I think this is the most logical interpretation. I also think if you study the scriptures carefully I think you find the answer right back in Genesis chapter 6 verse 4. Well, look, look at Genesis 6.4. And, you know, I'm interested in this because I'm amazed how many Bible teachers miss this. So, look at verse 4. It says, there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards. Now, notice the word when, okay? When, and so, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them they were there before and they were there afterwards when right it's it's pretty much giving us the answer right there that the sons of god came into women before the flood and then after the flood and again those were the mighty gaborm those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown i mean doesn't that, doesn't that make sense it pretty much gives it, it pretty much gives you the answer and you know what i just want to say this I'm reading it, you know, again, in the New King James Version in English. So I needed to go and look at the Hebrew and take a close look at verse 4 in the Hebrew. And the Hebrew basically reads when in those days after the sons of God came into the daughters of men, right, they bore them children. It's basically saying this is what happened before the flood and after the flood. Hey, Len, you've been studying, Dante, you guys have been studying here with this stuff, I think you were here when L.A. Marzulli was here, right? This is overlooked, because like what I just gave you with the the three different possibilities of, you know, of of what could have happened, uh, they don't really dig into verse 4, because verse 4, I believe, really gives us the answer. Okay, let me go and I'm going to make another point tonight. I don't know if I'll get to all of them tonight. We'll have time for prayer. So Nephilim implications. Demons. Where do demons come from? Who are demons? And what you've been taught, right, is that demons are what? Fallen angels. Right, that's what, that's what we all, you know, for the most part, that's what we all have been taught. Where in the Bible does it say that? Can anybody tell me we're in the Bible, right? We're a Bible-believing church, right? We don't, we don't want to grasp onto anything... That's non-biblical. There's too much non-biblical stuff in the churches today. Where in the Bible does it say that demons are fallen angels? I mean, if you could show me a passage, I I mean, I will believe because I believe the Bible is the word of God. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, this is the verse that's used as a proof text to prove that demons are, are fallen angels. Okay, Revelation chapter 12, this is how it's presented. What does the Bible say about demons? I pulled this off of a a, a commentary site. The Bible tells us that demons are fallen angels who joined Satan in his rebellion against God and who were defeated and cast out of heaven along with Satan. So they're referring to Revelation chapter 12, 7 through 9. It doesn't say that. I mean, tell me what it says here. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. So there is this cosmic war between Satan's fallen angels and God's okay, righteous angels. But he was not strong enough, meaning Satan, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, Satan. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. That doesn't say that demons are fallen angels. It just says, when he says that demons fell. Now, I just want you to you think of angels. Angels are, are, are majestic. Angels, I don't want to use the word glorious. But glory is a word for God. But angels are fantastic. Jeremy, right? Where's Jeremy? Fantastic. Oh, he's upstairs. He does a TV commercial, right? Where he says, fantastic. <laughs> so, they're, they're incredible. They're incredible creatures. Right? They, they just, it talks about, you know, we have been created a little lower than the, the angels, but the angels are above us. You know, we think we think of, of demons, right? We think of demons like, ah! right? <laughs> ah, right. If the the devil, right, he comes with horns and he's got a funny red tail. And how does Scripture say he comes? Right, as an angel of light. He's good looking. He looked like Brad Pitt. He looked like Muhammad Ali when Muhammad Ali was was young before he got punched in the face 50 times by Joe Frazier, and uh, actually he was still good-looking. Right, he, he transforms himself as an angel of light. There, there again, it's a picture of the you know of this majesty of angels. In Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against and here's here's the angelic, the fallen angelic um, hierarchy. It's an army, principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this um, the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Where? Heavenly places. Where are demons? in earthly places. Don't we see that over and over again in the Gospels? In again, just angels are majestic. Even fallen angels. In Mark chapter 5 verse 8 through 13, when Jesus cast out the demons from the demoniac, right, he was filled with a legion of demons, I mean 4,000 demons more Look at, look at what it says here. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine were feeding there near the mountains. Watch what these demons asked Jesus to do. So all the demons begged him saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down uh, the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Angels? These glorious creatures? Yes, fallen? Wanting to go into pigs? I, I, have a, I, I had a problem with that. Right, I had a problem with it. That started to get me, you know, geez. I, I just struggle with that. Where am I going with this? Most of you are getting, you know, an idea where I'm going. I just want to show you one other passage before I kind of make my point here. It says this in Isaiah. Isaiah 14.9. It's, it's kind of a, a, a mysterious cryptic passage. The realm of the dead below is all astir. To meet you at your coming, it rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones, all those who were kings over the nations. What's that referring to? If you start. To so study history, and there's all this mythology about these great, like supermen. You know, you can get into you know Zeus and Hercules, and you get into Thor in the in the Norse gods. You'll find them everywhere. You find them in, in, in you know Japanese literature. People say, "What's mythology, right?" That's what we were taught. It's all, it's all mythology, or is it history? And these Nephilim were ruling the earth, and they were the kings of the earth. I'll get into some evidence and show you some things next week that I really believe points to that. I don't think the, the, the reign of the Nephilim was just an isolated you know, incident in the Middle East. I believe it, it permeated the entire world. And when you get, in, you get into archaeology and you see this, but I think these are, these are talking about, I think this is a reference to the spirits of the Nephilim. I think that the spirits of the Nephilim are demons. They are, they are ruled by the principalities and the powers. And that's the position that I've come to. Now, again, you, you have to come to your own positions. This isn't a cult. I'm not here you know, saying, well, this is something you have to believe to come here. But this is where I've come to in my study of, you know, the Nephilim, the giants, and demonology, that I think that when it, the, the battles that we fight, yes, they're against the principalities and the powers, but they're also against the Nephilim. When you're just looking at people being possessed by demons or, or oppressed, by, I believe that's what's happening on the plane that we live in. So here's... here's I'll stop. One more. You want one more? All right, one more. Here. As it was in the days of Noah. Where, how do we know as it was in the days of Noah? Where do you go to find out what it was like in the days of Noah? Genesis 6. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, And so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man, They ate and they drank, they married wives, and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate and drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went into Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. The days of Noah, right? People look at that, right? They were eating, they were drinking, right? People marrying, just going through, like just human beings going through their motions. True, but could it also be referring to what happened with the incursion in Genesis chapter 6, that that is something that will happen or is happening at the time when Jesus comes back? Some type, again, of contamination of the DNA, of the human gene. Let me show you here, Genesis chapter 6, 5 through 10, going back there again. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man. That's talking about his his spiritual relationship with God. And then it says, perfect in his generations. The word word there for generations is a word that refers to the genome. Well, we go through the entire generation. The ten generations that go all the way back to Adam. That genome of Noah was not contaminated. You get that? Well, it's talking about his relationship with God. He walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem, Ham, and Japheth would not have had, again, the demonic DNA. When you get into, you really get into that that word generations, right? He's talking about the previous generations and the genes that have been passed on, his DNA. So God, he wipes out, he wiped out the whole human race with the exception, right, of how many people? Eight people, right? Noah, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughter-in-laws. I want to show you just uh, another kind of puzzling situation. In Jude chapter 6, verse uh, I'm sorry, Jude uh, 6 and 7, verse 6 and 7. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Strange flesh. What is he talking about? Are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. They went after strange flesh. Well, so again, what is the traditional interpretation? It's homosexuality. When the angels were in Lot's house, and the men from the city came and knocked on the door, what did they ask? These are angels. Send them outside. We want to have sex with them. Could that be why God totally wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah, that there was again some type of incursion going on in Sodom and Gomorrah with fallen angels and with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is, dude, uh, Nineveh was a horrible, horrible city of evil. Jonah was sent to Nineveh to preach the gospel. I mean, you get into you get into the the actual history of what the Assyrians. They were sacrificing their children. They were engaged in bestiality, homosexuality. They're, I mean, just they were, you know, just it was an evil, evil culture. But God showed grace to them and sent Jonah to preach to them, and they repented, and God spore, you know, he spared the city. But he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And he destroyed the entire human race in the flood. We're him no second chance. What was going on? Was Was it, you know, was there something there more? And I want to show you one other passage. And this, again, in Revelation chapter 13, 16 through 18, you're all familiar with the mark of the beast. He causes all both in small, great and rich, poor and free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And that, no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for his number of man is the number is 666. So just simply what we, we've always looked at that, right? As just, it's a mark. I mean, now today with barcodes and everything. I mean, they're, what, I was watching something about something that somebody in the White House was proposing that everybody get this mark on their head to be able to buy and sell. Uh, So we're always thinking about an economic, uh, you know, from an economic standpoint. What's interesting is those who receive the mark of the beast, they can never repent. They're done. They're doomed. You receive the mark of the beast during the tribulation period, you're damned. Well, how do do we know that? Go to chapter 14, look at verse 9 through 11. Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worships the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. That sounds pretty final to me. The flood, no second chance. Sodom and Gomorrah, no second chance. The mark of the beast, no second chance. They all have something, I believe, that's in common. Because I believe that these people, from the flood period, to Sodom and Gomorrah, to the tribulation period, are people who are no longer fully human. They are of the seed of the devil. And that's why God, just there's, there's no redemption. There's no salvation. That made complete sense to me and answered that question, is God a homicidal maniac? If he does not eliminate this, then the entire human race becomes contaminated and is destroyed. So though it seems very difficult to look at, it really becomes an act of God's love and God's grace to save the human race that's savable. Amen? Next week I'll get into some history with you. Let's uh, let's stand. Let the worship team come forward. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. And I do thank you, Lord. As a student of your word, Lord God, it made, just again, complete sense. And it answered so many questions, Lord God, and struggles that I was having in understanding, Lord God, just how you could wipe out an entire people. But you are just, you are righteous, and Lord God, you gave me the understanding Lord God and I pray that you would give us all the understanding of that we thank you Lord God for your word we thank you for the word tonight Lord God and we praise you in Jesus name Amen